What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 32 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as you are seeking to be the leader that you are created to be in the space and the place that God put you. Man, I'm proud of you. Thanks for tuning in. Today, you will not be disappointed. You know, every month we sit down with two or three leaders a month in these episodes, and some of them, you know them. You, you've read their name in the newspaper. You've seen their name on the news. You've read about them on Twitter. You've kept up with them from afar. Others, you may not know as well, but you sure know them after we spend time with them. Because what you learn is every one of us have influence with someone or some group of people, or some organization, or some community. But when you begin to dive down and you begin to dig a little bit, you find out what's really there. The gentleman we're going to talk to today is a is a guy that's leaving ripples in his generation. And I say ripples, you know, I remember growing up and you would throw a rock out in the water. My grandparents, uh, my dad's parents lived on a lake and you would throw a rock to skip it on the water and it would hit that water and it would leave ripples across that water. This guy's leaving some ripples in his generation. His name is Luke Norsworthy. Luke and I were introduced through a mutual friend, Annie Downs. And Annie told me, said, you are going to love when you get to connect with Luke. Y'all have got a lot in common. He's a pastor in Austin, Texas. He's a parent. He's got three children. I've got two, but he's a parent. He's a senior minister at his church. He's the host of a podcast called Newsworthy by Norsworthy. Sits down with some amazing guests and does a phenomenal job with them. But what I loved most about Luke was how diverse our conversation went. It went from what he's learned in leadership to what he's learned from his podcast to what he's learned from others. Luke has a brand new book that's just come out, God Over Good, and it is going to be awesome. Man, you're going to enjoy today. You may not have known Luke, but you're going to know Luke, and you're going to stop and follow him on Twitter, and you're going to follow him on Instagram, and you're going to follow his podcast because this guy has got something to say, and he's out there making a difference. So I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you to listen in to my time with Luke Norsworthy, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining us today on Lynch with the Leader. It's an honor to get to meet you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking well, forward to it. Well, it sounds like we've got pretty similar career tracks. You're you're a pastor for a living. You've got a side gig, much larger audience than I've got, but you've got a side gig as a podcast world. How have you learned to balance those two things while having a family of, of girls at home that yeah. you take care of? How have you learned to balance that? Well, I try to get my daughters to do my intro every once in a while, and uh, sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. Um, when I started the podcast, uh, it was really like these are people that really influence me or interesting to me that um, they're talking about something that's in my head. And first and foremost, like I'm a pastor, like that's what butters my bread. Yeah. And the podcast has become a resource for me to develop content that at some point will get worked into a sermon down the road often. And so as a pastor for me, like I think I need to be reading pretty consistently because you can't give to others what you're not receiving yourself. And so this in some ways is almost like an, an external motivator to make sure I'm doing the reading that I need to do as a pastor. And so I, I keep my things in order. Like I'm a pastor first. Uh, I'm, I'm a writer. Uh, podcaster probably is third on that list of my in terms of my time investment at this point in my life. But I see each of them enabling me to use a voice, use a perspective that the others wouldn't allow me to. And I'm grateful for each one of them. Yeah. Do you think you're better now because you're doing the podcast? Do you think it's made you a better pastor and leader? I think uh, as a as a preacher, I think it did because 
N.T. Wright is a theologian that has yep. been a big influence in my life. And I was at a live event at uh, Pepperdine University with N.T. Wright. And I was supposed to be a couple other people on the panel. And at one moment, everyone was gone. And so it was just me and, and old Tom Wright in front of however many people. And I didn't have anything prepared. I just thought I was one of the other people on the panel. And then I'm up there and I'm having to like riff this conversation with the gentleman who's way smarter than me. Yep. And at that moment, I realized, look, don't ever feel like insecure. Feel like you lose your place in your notes in a sermon. You can get through this. And so it's helped me be able to transition to using no notes in my sermon just because of the discipline of having this like free flowing conversation that's not tied to notes. So yeah, that's one part of it. I think a bigger part of it is as a pastor, I'm more comfortable with diversity of thought mm. in my congregation. Like I know there are certain things that are central and we don't need to mess around with those, but there are other things that there are good people, smart women and men who have different conclusions on other issues. And I know people on both sides of those issues. And it makes me feel comfortable to know this is someone I can love and value and respect, even if we don't have the same conclusion. And I think when you do church work, you deal with diversity of thought and you need to be able to, interact with with people with different conclusions and so i think the podcast has helped that yeah i like that a lot and you know as a leader we all have strengths we all have weaknesses in any way we can grow those things i think is a huge thing when you look at the past so let's take the pastoring piece of it what is the hardest part of pastoring to you and then what is the part of pastoring that you would say this comes pretty natural i feel like this is in my sweet spot in my lane what would you say uh, meetings are the hardest part for me. Uh, I know some people love meetings and that's just not my thing. Uh, I mean, obviously meetings, like that's a, that's a microcosm of the bigger issue, which is dealing with the complexity of people because we all have issues and problems and we all bring mommy and daddy issues into it. And so I think the the complexity is church by its nature is a group of different people. And like that's hard. Like it's hard to make different people all get along. So that's the, the toughest part. You know, the easiest part for me, I, like as you hear me describe my, my job, like I love reading. I enjoy, I'm an introvert. I think I've become more of an introvert the longer I've been doing pastoral work. And so getting in my office, writing a sermon, like it's challenging. I'm exhausted after I, you know, spend a couple hours writing, but I, Honestly, if I won the lottery, I would still do that. If I won the lottery, I wouldn't go to all my meetings, but I would still do all the sermon <laughs> prep. <laughs> like, guys, you're Bail all the meetings. Yeah. I love the other part. That's awesome. Yeah. And dealing with people who are yeah. going through their, like, I, I love the one on one where people are past the surface level stuff and really trying to process what does it mean for me to live out who I've intended to be in this context, in this situation. Like, I, I come alive for that. The, Let's talk yeah. about the budget. No. You know, exactly, exactly. And I know your dad, and from listening into you, your dad had a background in that counseling, in mm -hmm. that world. Do you find that you've picked up some of those skills from him through the years that that have come yeah. over to you that you go, man, that's something I like. You you talked about going yeah. beyond the surface level. Is that something yeah. that you think's picked up from that? Yeah, when, when I was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11, I was really frustrated at, I was assigned the chore of vacuuming and I was really mad about something. And so as a, like a, a kid, I was trying to push the boundaries. And so my dad saw me being really upset and he's like, what's the matter, Luke? And I go, dad, this is terrible. Like this vacuum sucks. And we would not say the word sucks in our household. Yeah. And so I was expecting like this big response from my dad. He looks at me, he goes, well, that's what a vacuum cleaner is supposed to do. <laughs> and he, he, he never would like get upset or emotional. He was, he was very steady. And I, I think that's one of the things that professionally, I don't always do that in my home life as well as I should, but professionally, I feel like I've picked that up from him to, to be, I think it's Freeman who talked about um, the well-differentiated leader. Yeah. He was able to say, this isn't about me. I can step back from this. And I, I saw that modeled by my father. My dad's also really good at asking follow-up questions and listening. And uh, so I think that's really helpful anytime you're engaging with people, whether it's their own spiritual journey or it's about different people with different conclusions on things. Well, I know in the church world too, and we talked about a little bit before we went on the air, you were in the church planning world mm -hmm. for a while, leading a smaller congregation. Now you're in a much larger, much larger context. What have been the biggest differences between your 
printing the brochures and making sure they're put out, emptying the trailer, driving the trailer, the Mm -hmm. whole bit too, managing a team around you. What have been the nuances and differences you've experienced? Well, not printing the bulletin has been a major benefit. That was... (laughs) We had the the printer in my home office, and that oh, was like nice. the last thing I would do. And it was there would often be gnashing of teeth and yelling because I just I hated it. And to move away from doing some of those responsibilities, which are very important, but they can be kind of tedious. And I don't have to pull a twenty four foot trailer before church every Sunday. It actually was so weird because I used to, you know, help set up and tear down and pull the trailer. That when I went to this new church. I don't have to do that. I have to preach a couple of times, but I, I missed them. Yeah. Like the, the physicality of doing that. Mm-hmm. And so I've started working out Sunday mornings beforehand. I think partly because I got used to that routine of doing some sort of physical labor um, when I was a church planner, but moving away from that to uh, obviously I, I work on a staff with multiple highly talented women and men and they're able to specialize in their thing. And they also enable me to do the same thing on my own end. And there's a higher emphasis on the fewer tasks that I have, but there also is less um, expectation that I can be a a jack of all trades. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, go back a little bit to that church planning world. There's almost a rush that comes with the setup and you hate it. Mm-hmm. And you don't ever want to do it again. But there is a little adrenaline kick when you mm-hmm. are you you have a physical hand in what's going on that morning, rather than just showing up and the lights are on and people are setting the sound up yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. that that it's, is interesting. It's, it's good for team building. I, I had a friend right. who That's right. he started off and didn't have to set up and tear down, and his church fizzled uh, soon. Now, obviously, it's not one to one kind of comparison. If you do this, then that's going to happen. But there was a, a camaraderie that was built and often guys have a difficult time connecting because they're not going to sit down and get coffee typically to be stereotypical of, of the genders, but you give them a, a physical task to do. And that's often where the connection is. That what you experienced? Absolutely. And it was funny how many people dropped away after we finished set up teardown. So we had three years, we were in a school, moved to a campus and there were just people that dropped away that were there every Sunday, but they right. got to the campus and didn't feel like they were needed anymore. That was interesting. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting thing. So when it comes to managing your team, how many people do you have on the team that you lead that are employees there at your church? That's a good question. I probably should know the answer off the top of my head. I think we have maybe a dozen full-time ministers. And I work side by side with an executive minister who they directly report to the executive pastor. And so he has he gets to do like the job reviews and that sort of stuff. And so to say that like they directly report to me, that, that's not really fair. I work side by side with the guy who yep. who's actually responsible for that. And he is much better at that than I ever could be. Yeah. And so was that a hard lane for you to find or was he already there? He was actually, he's, he's there. Uh, okay. He's been here for 10 plus years Gotcha. Uh, on staff, I think. And he, it's been great for me because I'm, I was 33 when I became uh, the preacher at this church. I, people think that I tend to look younger than I actually am. The first Sunday I show up to preach at this church, I walk in and someone tries, someone says, uh, do you need help finding the college class? And nice. I was like, no, I'm the, the, the pastor. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and so like tons of experience is not what I bring to the table. And so to have a guy who's been around a little bit longer, who knows this church has been an amazing blessing. What keeps you growing? What 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 in that world of pastoring and leading? And I think every leader understands that we all we all wear vocationally very different hats. Yeah. But we're all leaders in different contexts. In your world that you're in as a pastor, what keeps you stretched and keeps you growing? Well, I think that's a big part of what the podcast does. Is mm. it, it forces me to read books? It forces me to engage with different ideas and different concepts that, left to my own devices. I might get lazy, not engaged with. And so creating systems that force you to do things that make you grow, I think is the most important thing. Just saying, hey, I want to read 50 books in the next two years. That's a nice idea. But what system are you creating to put that in place? I also think being connected to people who are going in the direction I want to go. Like there's the old adage that if you want to know who you're going to be in five years, ask yourself, what five people do I spend most of my time with? That's probably going to answer that question. I've been fortunate to, to be connected to some really 
great people who help me um, because they're more mature, they're smarter, they're wiser, and more talented than me. And I get to hold onto their coattails and let them drag me forward. That's good. That's really good. And I, and you know, it's amazing when you're prepping for a guest, how much, how differently you may read a book, how differently mm-hmm. you may look at a subject because you know that you've got X amount of minutes that you've got to ask questions. So it's more than just gazing and going, Oh yeah, that book's done. You, you definitely have to read into it a little bit more. That's really, yeah. You, you've got to engage. You've got to really have that critical eye and it, it makes it a whole lot easier if you're going to take that idea and preach it because you already know, like, at least one perspective on it somewhat thoroughly. Yeah. What's been the darkest time you've had as a leader? What's been the time that you went, man, this was, this was the point I had the white flag in my back pocket, ready to jump it above my head. Is there any time like that for you? Hmm. Okay. One of those people that I've been fortunate to get connected to uh, is a, a guy who I got connected to when I was in Dallas or outside of Dallas doing the church plant. And he was a friend of a friend and he wasn't really part of our church. He was uh, a businessman who lived 30 minutes down the road and he just became kind of like a, almost like my, my business guru. Cause he, he lived in that world. Um, at, at one point he was George W. Bush's boss in the oil business. And so he kind of runs in circles that I typically don't inhabit. Yeah. And we were having a conversation and he had helped the church from a distance a great deal. And I said, Hey, you know, we're going through a tough time. Year two is around the corner. I don't know if we're going to make it through. And he said, Luke, you should go write your resignation letter. And I thought, well, that's kind of a macabre thing to do right now. A little, little ominous. And he said, no, go, go write the letter and process that. In high school, I was a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, a practice that some wrestlers would do where you go into a, a new gym before a meet and you lay down on your back on the mat and you look up at the lights. And that's the last place a wrestler wants to be. You never want to be on your back because that means you're losing. Yep. But you get in a position where you lay down, you look up and you go, okay, this is as bad as it can get. Can I be okay with it? When I wrote that letter, it almost like that thing happened all over again, where wow. I looked, laid on my back and I go, okay, if this fails and I have to tell everyone hey, you invested in me, you invested in this vision, you invested in this church, and it's done. And I had to make peace with failure and make peace with, I I might not be able to make this work. Um, It it opened me up to a level of freedom where there were some decisions that we made down the road that could have caused us to have an untimely demise. But I wasn't afraid of that. Like, I didn't live in fear of, what if I have to write a letter and tell people we're shutting down? Because I'd already written the letter. Like, I'd already accepted there's a very good chance this can happen. And church, I was there for seven years and never had to to read that letter aloud. But making peace with that was very freeing. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. That's really good. Really, Is it something you've had to go back to since then? Have you ever had to do that in any other areas of your life? Or is that, was that a one-time deal? You went, man, that pulled me through that moment and I've never had to go back to that again. Well, I, I haven't read any more letters, <laughs> but knowing that can happen and, yeah. and, and I can still be pulled through by someone. And I would say that's God. Um, it, it's almost like I, I just have that in the back of my head. Like, I know that's okay. And when I first started this church, I was preaching, it's, some Sundays it felt like I was preaching to 12 people or 20 people. And when I was in college, I did this interdenominational Bible study and it was on a really good night. It was a thousand college kids come into it. And then fast forward a few years and I'm preaching to like dozens instead of yeah. hundreds or thousands. Yeah. It would get in my self-esteem. Like, what is wrong? Like, Luke, you're, t- you're failing. And I had this like chant that I would go through and it's almost like a mixture of like, uh, Henry Nowen and Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Did you ever watch that show, Friday Night Lights? Uh, uh, how many times? Okay, that's yes. the right answer. Many times, that's correct. But I, I would, cha- I would like Sunday mornings, I tell myself, even if the seats are empty, may my heart be full. Even if the seats are yep. empty, may my heart be full. And that was almost that same sort of like, if I see failure on a very tangible level, it's not going to define me. Good. And, and having that as a place to come out of, I think has enabled me to not be caught up when things are more successful and the seats are more full because like I've been at the bottom, I've been at better places and I'm still the same. Like what fills me up is not on the outside. That's right. Well, it's interesting because you probably preached better sermons sometimes to the people that were there and there were 12 of them than when there's a thousand. 
Yeah. It really because it really doesn't have that much to do with us at the end of the day. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's good to hear Friday Night Lights, man. I'm always <laughs> always uh, always up for a good fan of Friday Night Lights. Oh. In fact, the TV the the movie was on the other day and it was yeah. on. I was flipping by. There's like four movies. If I see them, I just stop in my tracks and I have to pick them up. And the TV shows same way. Oh yeah, we're we're, what are the we're other, nuts. What are the other three movies? Friday Night Lights is one of the movies. Yes, a few good men. Okay. Absolutely. Field of Dreams. Okay. Yeah. And let's see what th- uh, Shawshank Redemption. That would be the one. Those. Those are. Those are the ones. If you're walking by the television, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna pick up right where it was and be mm-hmm. all in. Oh yeah. So and yeah. You, I'm. I guarantee you've preached those movies. Oh, I'm sure. Many times yeah. I didn't even know it. Didn't even know. Yeah. I just prayed my kid wouldn't grow up to be Riggins. <laughs> you know how that goes. Uh, I don't want Timmy running off on me to 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 uh, to Mexico to get a drink during football practice. Well, my biggest concern is I have all daughters. I don't want them getting in Tim Riggins' truck. I don't want that ever happening. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't we do not need that, man. We do not need that. So you yeah. begin the podcast. Here you are. You're a pastor, and I heard some of the beginnings and some of your interviews you've done with other folks. Of man, I wanted to let other people listen in. How selfish of me to have this conversation with somebody and not let somebody listen in. So you begin newsworthy by Norsworthy and Mm -hmm. it's taking you on quite a ride. Did you ever dream when you started it, you would be where you are with it today? Well, when I started, like podcasts were not nearly as ubiquitous as they are now. Like they just didn't, I I remember having to talk someone into being on the podcast and I was like, this is going to be good for you. Like I'm, I'm going to highlight the best of your work. I'm a fan of yours. And okay, tell me what, because they just, they weren't as prevalent. And so I didn't really have a vision for where it was going. I didn't like have this, Oh, my, my goal is to get this high on the iTunes charts. And so, yeah, no, I didn't think through any of that. I was just hoping to be able to talk to people that were interesting to me and to have, to have a conversation was my goal from the beginning. And it's been great to, have some of the cool conversations and cool opportunities because to me, it's like, Oh, well that makes it easier to have the next cool opportunity. And yeah, like I, I, I'm really blown away at the people I've got to interact with. And like, I was a big fan of the TV show, the office. Yep. And I got to do an interview with Dwight, uh, rain Wilson. And like, it was just pretty surreal. Honestly, <clears throat> I'm a track guy. I was a, a mediocre pole voter back in the day. And I've always been a fan of, Sonia Richards Ross, who four-time Olympic gold medalist, and Zondervan did a book with her, and it sh- it showed up in my mail. I was like, "Oh, I would love to talk to Sonia," and I, that was the biggest fanboy moment of my life. Is like, wow. "This is Sonia Richards Ross. I'm at her house. This is amazing." But um, yeah, it's been it's been great. And are, have you ever heard of the Enneagram, the personality typing I, system? I have. I have not taken. I've been in big in disc. <laughs> I'm a okay. trainer. So I have not, oh, okay. my, my, my sister-in-law is all in it. So that's all they talked about over Christmas. This is the, this is the enemy to you. Yeah. yeah. The enemy, if, if you're a disc guy, you don't want the Enneagram coming around or vice versa, but, <laughs> but my Enneagram number, I, like I'm an Enneagram seven. And so the idea for like, I, I want to have new and exciting experiences. I mean, the podcast is, has scratched that itch for me and Good. in ways that I'm very grateful for. As you have begun to line up guests, you've had people from Carl Lentz to Olympic pole vaulter to you've had people all across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. What has been how how did you get to the point you were so broad in the, the I would say clientele that you've been able to draw onto the podcast? What was what was sort of the makings of that? Was it hey man, I've just got ideas anything that's newsworthy I'm wide open to that deals yeah. in the faith world. Tell me a little bit of that journey. Yeah. It's really whatever is interesting to me. And yeah. Annie Downs, who's been on your podcast uh, at this point, you know, she has a, like her mantra is like, um, I'm talking to friends of mine. Yeah. That's who, that's who I'm going to interview for me. It's like, whatever is interesting to me. And obviously Carl Lentz, he's a pastor and uh, he runs in some of the athletic worlds that I'm a fan of. Yeah. And I, I, I once had a, um, a UFC champion, a guy named Rich Franklin, who years ago was the middleweight champion in the world three time and has a master's degree in like education or something. He was a high school math teacher. And he talked about losing. And as someone like I've, I've talked about earlier about feeling like I've been defeated in a few parts of my life at different stages. Like I loved hearing someone in a different world, in a different 
arena, so to speak. Uh, literally, I've never been in a cage fight. But yeah. him talking about defeat, like that's a, a common universal theme. And so I love being able to learn from people, whatever sector of life they're in. And to be able to get to know some of the people I've gotten to know through the podcast has been a great way to do that. And it's also awesome that if I have someone that I quote a lot and they've been on my podcast, I can just say a friend of mine once said. Yes, that's so right. I don't feel like I, eh, I don't have to quote them anywhere. Just a friend of mine once said. That's good. So what, what are common ingredients? I mean, you've had people from all walks of life across the board. What are some common ingredients that it, looking now that you've talked to them, you've studied them, you've read them, and you're stepping back from it now? What are things they've had in common with each other, even though they're in very different fields and many times very different belief systems yep. that they may all carry, but what are things that they have in common with each other? That's a great question. I, I My initial answer is there's always a drive or a journey that they're on. They're, they're doing something, they're going somewhere. And obviously not every path is the same and it looks different for everyone. But I think everyone is trying to find and move towards something. And whether it's the UFC fighter who's been defeated, trying to, to make sense of that, or you have um, like a Carl Lentz, who I think there's a lot of people say a lot of negative things about him unfairly. And I think he's trying to make sense of that. And he's trying to move forward. And like, that that's not who I am. I've got something else I'm going towards. Um, like a, a Rain Wilson, someone from a completely different faith system from mine. Baha'i would be some, a religion, which Rain Wilson is uh, a, a student of, a disciple, a member of, who would value the teachings of Jesus, but he's not a follower of Jesus. Um, and so that's why I'm saying it's different. Yeah. But he's still, he, he's like, what does it mean for me to be a person of faith in the Hollywood world? And he's trying to do something. And I think one of the reasons that we love sport and we love a movie where there's like a, a character arc of like a Tim Riggins, like he goes from like a terrible person to someone like, oh, I can kind of like root for this person is like, you're going, you're striving, you're, you're, you're trying to better yourself. And it, you get through all the different labels and the different names. Like, ultimately, I think we're all kind of doing that. I think redemption is a universal thing that we're all looking for. And it's great to hear how other people are traversing that. Yeah. And, you know, and I know that when you get into it, and this is just more for a personal end. So let's say you get into a question with somebody and they're in a totally different mindset than you are and mm -hmm. almost punches your buttons a little bit where you're going, they're not talking about me because they may not even know my story, but they're sort of talking about me. How have you learned to handle that, that, that you don't take it personal? I mean, what they, that's their opinion. Is that something you had to grow into? Did you find yourself early on doing this podcast where you would push back on that a little bit more? How have you handled that? Well, I don't know about you, but as a pastor, like I've never been criticized before. No one's no, ever said never. that sermon was stupid. Never. No one's ever said any. No, I mean, in our line of work, you, you receive a lot of praise, which you don't deserve, and a lot of criticism, which you also don't deserve. Yeah. And I think to, to be successful, and I mean that like the, the Christian sense of success is that like you're not defined by those things, is that you understand like if you open yourself up for all the good, you're also going to have to open up for all the bad. Yeah. And, and that, like the pastoral disposition of, okay, I, I can't listen to everything as though it's true. Like I can listen and learn from it. That mixed with my dad, who even when I was 11, trying to get a get him riled up by saying the word sucks, he's, he's never going to get rattled. I think you bring into the podcast and go, like I, everyone has different opinions. And when we let those things in conversation, no one gets better. When we let those things be part of the conversation, go, okay, we see this differently. Help me understand where you're coming from. I don't have to change you, but I can understand you. Right. So I, I would rather work towards understanding than uniformity. Good. And that's a great leadership trait. I mean, that take it, take it out of the podcast world. I think for everybody listening that is leader in any field that they're in, being able to do that with their team is huge because everybody's different and everybody yeah. on our team's different. So yeah. that's very good. That's a great. That, and that, that, that has helped me as a leader is I've learned to go, you see it this way. Help me understand how you see it that way. Mm -hmm. Instead of trying to change their, their mind. I mean, What's been the interview you've enjoyed the most? You've had some incredible guests. Was there one in particular that may well, have 
super, I know NT Wright was a hero of yours. In fact, I saw on one of your things, uh, I think it was a blog post early on. I'm stalking you. I will get <laughs> you one day. It was great. It was a great line back in I, your blog days. Uh, yeah. So it, was there one that you didn't see? I'm sorry about that, man. It, That's it's really out, funny. It's out there. It's out there. Yeah. So was there one of those that you, that you just didn't see coming that you went, dude, that was incredible. Hmm. First of all, I need to go back and delete my blogs because I don't know <laughs> what was written in 2013. That's scary. Um, yeah, so I've got old Tom's coming back on for like the fifth time in a couple of weeks. So hopefully he won't hear this by then. Um, hmm. I mean, there, honestly, I've been surprised by so many. Yeah. And like Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar. And I've interacted with some really high level scholars and I just expected them to do kind of like the monologue. My, my dad's a professor. He's a psychologist, but also uh, a professor. And in the summertime when he's not doing his lectures, he would just like do these long monologues to us as kids because he didn't get his fix on talking enough, I think. And I just, okay, you're, you're an academic. You're just going to do these long monologues, but he was like, he would listen and engage in the conversation. Um, you know, surprised that, um, like there's a lady named Becca Stevens who was CNN's Hero of the Year mm -hmm. in 2017. She runs this great organization in Nashville. Uh, someone said you need to get to know her, and I did. I was like, oh, this is an amazing person. Um, I, honestly, I I don't know how to answer. I would I think the question I could answer easier is what surprised you about each guest? Yeah, because yeah. each each person has brought like this unique thing that I like. Rain Wilson. One of the things that surprised me about Rain is. And I've interacted with a couple comedians on the podcast, and I don't know about you, but when I'm done preaching, like I kind of mellow out and I'm kind of quiet and more subdued on stage. I like I'm more lively just because you have to do that, right? Are you that right? I'm, yeah, I'm a I'm a people guy, so okay. I get energy from it and am wired after it's over. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, exactly okay, what you're yes. talking about. So I'm the opposite. Like I'm yep. extending all my energy into it, and then I have to recover. But I like comedians who like I see them on stage or performers like a rain Wilson. And then before or after they're just real chill. And like, I talked to rain Wilson for 20 or 30 minutes before the podcast. And he was just lay, literally laying down on the floor in someone's office. And we're just, so you got kids. Yeah. Tell me about that. Just regular yeah. person. And that's the beautiful thing about like people is that if you listen, you can, you can often find something that's really life giving and ever like one of the things I learned from Rob Bell is he used to get a group of five people who'd come together at his office back when he was preaching in Michigan and he would do a rough draft of his sermon. And I thought that's a brilliant idea. So I do that at my church. So my assistant gets five random people from my church that I don't know who it is until I show up and I do a rough draft of my sermon. And then for the next 30 minutes, I just ask them what they heard. Tell me about your experience with this idea, this concept. And I, I learned so much from like my church people and I, I think the best illustrations and um, examples of the ideas I'm trying to preach on come from my actual people, because I think everyone can give you something if you're willing to listen and you have that curiosity. Yeah, I love that. And I heard, you know, there's two things. I heard in one of your interviews talking about leadership. And you were talking about you're not a big fan of leadership <laughs> books, not of leadership, but of leadership books. Tell me, tell me a little bit about pull pull back the covers on that a little bit. Okay, I was wondering if we we're going to end up on that. So I've done almost like 300 podcasts. By the time this comes out, I'm sure it'll be over 300. And I've never done any like specifically on leadership, even though people I interact with are leaders, um, because I. And so I, I get one from a guy who's prominent in the leadership world. He ran like the largest Christian leadership conference catalyst, um, did that for a decade. And so I do a podcast with him, not because it was one I solicited, but because, hey, he said, hey, can I come on and talk about this book? Okay, sure. You're friends of a friend. Let's do this. Because sometimes I feel like leadership is just, everyone wants to be in charge. Like most people want to have power and authority. And often the worst part of leadership is this is just me making excuses for my power hungry heart. And one of the things that I think I learned from that, that podcast, um, the H three leader is the name of the book. I believe, yep. uh, Brad Lominick is Brad was saying, Luke, what I hear you reacting to is what I think a lot of 
younger people are seen as the dysfunction in previous ways of doing leadership and healthier versions of leadership, which is coming out that people are talking about more is more of a leadership that is not trying to do that, but trying to say, I'm going to follow, I'm going to serve. And it's not this power hungry attempt to just get in in charge, which is dysfunctional leadership. And so I think my reticence to talk about leadership was really an inability to differentiate unhealthy leadership from healthy leadership. And that's what I learned from Brad Lominick. That's good. And that was really, and that was a great conversation. That was a great conversation you guys had with each other. And, uh, you know, it was good because I think, I think it pushed him a little bit. I think it pushed you a little bit. And I think Mm -hmm. it was interesting to hear, you know, how it, it, it it created divergence, but then it brought it back together as well. How, How do you think that your faith, let's take it. You're not a pastor. Let's say you're, you're a podcast guy for a living, which would be a, a poor pitiful existence, I know. But anyways, and so you're a podcast guy for a living or you're doing whatever. How do you feel like your faith would influence you and how you live out your life with the people that you serve with, with the team around you, with your family? What would you say? I hope it would lead me to be generous and grateful. It's mm, good. And I hope it would teach me uh, to see the value in all people and to to understand that people matter more than a project or people matter more than an accomplishment. And I hope it would teach me to see that whatever you have, whether it's big or small, or whether it's what you dreamed of or what you didn't, it is a gift that you've been given. Uh, there's a, a lady who's never been in my podcast, but she, she wrote a line. Her name's Joan Chittister that goes like this. Um, in this moment is the essence of everything glorious I've been given in life. And it is enough. Mm. And that's kind of a mantra that, that I, I, I carry with me, regardless of my vocation, is that in this moment right here, it is enough. And for me, it's I've got three little kids. They're nine, six, and three. And I'm assuming your kids are a little bit older than that. Yeah, they are. Yeah. But you know that stage, and it's yep. and I'm not saying it gets easier as they get older, but it's different. And the, like, I've got to keep you alive phase is very physically demanding, whereas there's more demands as you get older, I'm assuming. Uh, but I, I constantly go back to like this moment right here is the best gift I've been ever given. And this task in front of me that I get to do what I get to do, it's a gift. And I'm grateful I've, I, I get to do things that I care about. And I, I think that could traverse pastoral work or yep. whether I was in sales or whatever, like it's a gift and I'm going to be generous with it. Well, that's really good. That is really good. And I'll say, just as a dad and a parent, my son is 23, my daughter's 20, and it gets better. And and every stage has its own pieces Mm -hmm. to it. But you go from being the parent, and now, you know, with my son, he's 23, he works here at our church, they're friends. And so, yeah, you're the parent, but yeah, there's a friendship there. If you're a parent, then you get to be a friend. And so it's a, it's a fun journey, man. You're, you're in the fun years. You're in the fun years. So enjoy those. That's a great, that's a great line. And I love the generous and grateful because, you know, and I think as a leader, um, whether we want to be or not, you know, it's, you know, your QB one at some point in some place, you, you, you know, you're Saracen and streets down and guess what? You got the ball Friday night. You may not feel like it. You may not think you are, but God put you in that position for a reason bigger than you. And, and it's always interesting for me to hear from people from all walks of life. Why do you think God put you there? And at the end of, at the end of all this for you, why do you think God put you where he put you? Why do you think he gave you the skills and abilities that he did to, to be a pastor of a great church, to, to have a phenomenal podcast that people are calling you now to get on? Why do you think he gave you those abilities? Hmm. A question I've never thought of before. Uh, I feel like I'm now doing some counseling that I need to do uh, <laughs> some self-evaluation. First of all, your Friday Night Lights reference before it was A plus, spot on, well done on that. Um, that was this is good. Why do I think God put me where I am? Hmm. I don't know. I would like to think that there are other people who have the same questions as me, and mm, I cool. I have a platform that enables me to do on a scale that's in that people are able to see someone going through the same questions. And I, I would hope that I could model a person who's willing to try to keep moving forward, 
even when you have questions, even when you know your your faith struggles, and even when there are things that that are deeply upsetting to you and, and troubling to you, but you're not going to give up. And I would hope that what I can do is be one of many voices that say, "Hey." I know this is hard and maybe your faith isn't what you thought it was going to be. And maybe your expectations for what you think God is supposed to be are not going to be realized, but you don't have to give up. You can keep moving forward. And there's ways to, to have faith even when, when faith is hard for you. And if one person knows that they're not alone in that journey, I would be very grateful. That's solid. That is solid. That's really good. I know you've got a new book that's out. And tell everybody about your book and what sort of led to you writing that. Well, um, thank you. Yeah, the book is entitled uh, God Over Good. And really the book, I mean, it's probably like the the origin story of why I do the podcast. When I first started the podcast, I, I had questions about my faith and I was trying to go to people who could help me make sense of these faith struggles that I have. And four or five years later, those questions aren't the ones that, that, that burdened me as much now as I did back then. But when I started the podcast, th- these are real questions that I have. And the podcast was a means to help understand. And the book is me trying to trying to describe what that journey looked like for me. And it's, you know, I was a pastor and my faith didn't make sense to me anymore. And what I was so sure of, what I had built up as my faith and these things that I that caused me to go into ministry eventually crumbled. And I had to make sense of a new faith in, in light of the realization that what got me started in this journey is not going to keep me going in the journey. And I had to figure out what does faith look like when God doesn't live up to your expectations. Did, did you find, were there certain things that happened, Luke, in the journey that caused those doubts to come up? Were there certain things, hurdles that you began to jump over that caused those things to come up? Yeah, I, I think adversity uh, professionally was was one of the things. I think also there, you know, personal struggles. Um, when I was, you know, when I was a kid, I had a, a terrible situation where um, a, a girl um, and her sister, so two girls and myself, I was five, uh, were playing. Long story short, one of the girls gets hit by a car and she's never walks again. She, she She's still alive, but uh, her mental and physical functions have been almost non-existent. And when my daughter turned five, which is the same age of mm. uh, uh, Trudy, when that happened, it like, it came back to life to me. Like, okay, what if that was my daughter? And mm. like, I just, it was almost like I had suppressed that memory Wow, for 30 years. And then all of a sudden, oh, this is real again. And I, I, for, for me, part of my struggle was, you know, intellectual, like, okay, I go to seminary, learn this stuff and make the, Okay. And it doesn't all add up. One plus one doesn't equal two anymore. But another part of it was experiential. Like this isn't supposed to happen. Like how is God loving and good? And this stuff is going on. Um, I thought life was going to be easy. My my first ministry job was a train wreck in Florida. And my first job out of school was in Florida and it was just a, uh, a disaster. And so how do, how do I make sense when, when life doesn't go the way I'm, mm. I'm thinking it's supposed to go? So I, I don't know if I could ever divorce the intellectual from the experiential. I think it's just all mixed together. That's great. And so the book will be perfect for people that are walking through that journey. Yep. And, and, it, and it's something we all walk through. And yep. you, will, you will wrestle. And do you think Jesus get mad? He gets upset with us because of our doubts? Do you think God struggles with people when they when they don't believe as heartily as they may have before the adversity struck? What are your thoughts on that? I think God is for you and God is loving and God is, God is the parent in the stand who's cheering for you, whether you're losing or winning. God is the the coach in the sideline who is never giving up on you, no matter how many plays you, you mess up on and you forget your assignments. I think God is always there with you. God is the teammate who's picking you up after you fall down. Like, I think God is all that. I love that. I got to use all those Friday Night Light references right there too. Um, I, I think God is always for you. And yeah. even when you don't believe in God, I think God still believes in you. And I, I assume your kids know that you will always love them. Just like, That's correct. just like God will always love us. I, I look at my dad, my dad and mom, but I, I look at fathers to predominant metaphor for God in scripture. And so I see my father on earth and I go, he's always for me. And I think Mm -hmm. my heavenly parent is just as for me as that. So I no, I just because you struggle with your faith doesn't mean you have to be away from God. 
I think God can be with you in that. And, and I think part of the solution is it's not just the ideas that you have, but it's the practices you have that sustain your faith. Yeah. And I think that makes space for the intellectual questions as long as you have the, the practical, these are practices that are going to sustain my faith. That's good. You know, I heard an old guy say a long time ago, he said, um, you know, God's okay with your questions and your doubts as long as you don't stay there, as long as we're moving and there's a process, because if we stay too long, we can lose ourselves in it. We can, mm-hmm. we can almost get in a, get in a funk in a circle. And so I love, I, yeah. I love that your process is I'm moving forward. I, I can't, I can't stop here, but yeah. God is, and I love what you say. God is, God is for us. That's the whole, that's the new Testament. Yeah. God is, that's the, the finish of it. He is yeah. trying to make this thing work. And yeah. uh, man, that's really good. If people want to learn more about you, Luke, where, where should they go and tell a bit a little bit about where to find you on your podcast? Yeah. Um, yeah. The internet is a beautiful place to find people. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Great. I would love to be done with Facebook Facebook by the time this podcast comes out, but I don't think that's the case. Um, yeah, you can find me all over there. Uh, the church I'm a part of in Austin is called Westover Hills. So our, our website is westover.org. And I would like to think that my book is online as well, but I don't know what the future is going to hold. It's it, like, it's going to be there. Come on. It'll be on Amazon. Go there. Go buy oh, 10 copies. That's exactly right. All right. Final question. One of, one of the most fascinating things I learned during one of your interviews is you, you uh, moved out of the, the pastoring world where you got your lesson and you've got 30 minutes and your slot and you did some stand up comedy. <laughs> All right. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that real quick and how that stretched you. Yeah. Were you nervous? Were you scared? Uh, tell me a little bit about Terrified. that. I, I bet. To, to do just a couple minutes set at an open mic, I was nerve wracked. Whereas three, I do three 30 minute sets every Sunday. Yeah. Rarely ever get nervous. I, I can't think the last time I was nervous. My first Sunday I was nervous here, but besides that, and I did one big keynote at a, at a university one time besides those two like sermons, I can't remember being nervous in the last 10 years. I was nerve wracked to do a three or four minute set in front of 30 or 40 people down in on sixth street in Austin uh, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, I realized nothing that I used in church worked in that setting, had to come up with new material. Uh, it, it was great to be an outsider to, cause I'm the insider, like at church, like I'm, I, I'm the inside of it. And to be on the outside, to talk about being a pastor, which eventually I moved to doing stuff like these are jokes, like I'm a pastor. And I love it. it was, it was, it was a great setting to be on someone else's home turf and to be an outsider. and obviously just the the oral communication of you've got to be faster and tighter in comedy than you do preaching because you have less time and and bum bum joke bum bum joke whereas in a sermon you don't have to have that sort of time so it was it was good professionally it was more it was more formative for me personally and spiritually to okay learn from this be on the outside what does it mean to sit here um and also some people are just really inappropriate and they shouldn't have a microphone that's also It's amazing how they fill their time up with words that you probably shouldn't use. It's a it's yeah. a crazy thing. But it, what I do applaud you for. It's easy to be really good in our field, and to be get and to get good in our field. But when you're put outside your element, where they do not know you, mm-hmm. they do not you know your style. They do not know because you can say something to your church that knows you. Nobody else would think it was funny, but they think it's funny. Yeah. But it may not be funny to a, to a, just an average crowd. And so, I mean, I applaud you for doing that. That's a, that's a gutsy move. That's, a gutsy move. that's like uh, taking over East Dillon, right? I mean, that's like it, going to East. It is. With, yeah. It with, is. With, with just the crappy field out in front of you. You just got to build it. Yeah. And I, you just got to find yourself a Michael B. Jordan. Who's going to play quarterback for you and you can make it Somebody work. running from the cops always works out well at quarterback, right? And that the lesson. <laughs> that's, that's so true. That's so uh, true. Well, man, Luke, thank you so much for today, buddy. You were awesome. And uh, we'll have all the links to these things in our show notes. But anything I can ever do to serve you, man, don't ever hesitate to let me know. All right. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that time with Luke. I know I sure did. The guy's got something to say, doesn't he? And man, I love so many of the thoughts he had on leadership. I love hearing somebody unpack their story of the goods and the bads of it, what leadership means to them. 
how being a Christ follower and being a spiritual leader, how that's a process that we're all growing through and how we're being stretched and how we're doing things that stretch us. Man, Luke was so interesting to me. Part of it was I didn't know Luke. And so our time together was like that first time lunch with a with a new friend where you're unpacking a little bit and learning from him. And Luke's got it going, man. I'm telling you, the guy is leaving ripples. And I hope that uh, you will follow him and I hope you'll tune into him because I think God's going to be using him in big ways in the days and the years to come. Thanks, Luke, for joining us on Lynch with a Leader. And uh, man, I know, and I say this every month, but I truly do mean it. I am better for the time we spent together. And I hope you were too. On our next episode of Lynch with a Leader, we swing another turn down a new street and we sit down with a great gentleman in the restaurant industry. His name is Andy Ravella. And Andy was fascinating. The guy helped create, if you've ever been to Bennigan's back in the day, the Monte Cristo sandwich. Oh, that was Andy. We've only consumed a couple hundred of those in our lifetime. And when I knew he created the Monte Cristo, he was like a hero to me. It was my wife's favorite sandwich. And man, we had a great time talking about not just the world of leadership and the restaurant industry and in all the different places that he worked in that industry, but even more the turn that he made towards Christ and what Jesus began to do in his life and how that is legitimately changed him from the inside out. You are going to love episode 33. Thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed this, share it with a friend. Leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. And once again, thanks for joining us on Lynch with a Leader. And until we meet again, go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and the place that he put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.